0: Pause your word counts and enjoy. I would like to welcome Molly Kuzek here today to the Manuscript Accounting Podcast. Molly is a children's and YA editor at SourceBooks a large cat parent in a publishing family and formerly known as Molly Jaffa. Molly, we have so many cat people and I think we've actually had your cat on on the show before.
2: <laughs> well, hello. Thank you for having me. And yes, I believe that Donut is somewhat famous on Manuscript Wishlist. Um, that is my very large orange cat that I share with my husband, John Cusick. And Donut says hello tonight. He's Aww. checking me out right now.
0: Hi, Donut, Donut is the best cat name ever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you want
1: something,
2: was that a meow? Yes, that was. I'm so sorry. <gasps>
1: no, it was just on cue. It was perfect.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, oh, buddy. I told you to be quiet.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think
2: trade secrets. I think
0: we might have um, recorded Donut before and then clipped
2: him in.
1: Donut, meow once for if you should review your query letter. (laughs) We did that.
2: Um, That's funny. That's basically how I review my submissions, actually. I just show them the donut, and he's like, meow. It works. (laughs) Does he have good taste? I think so. Um, So how did you get started in publishing? Um, I started in publishing when I was in college. I knew that I was interested in a career in the industry, and I got an internship at Folio Literary Management, which is an agency in New York, and ended up working there full-time before I graduated from school in the subsidiary rights department and started taking on some of my own clients. Um, One of the partners there, my boss, said... You're a kid. Do you want to do kids' books? And <laughs> I said that sounds great. Uh, you know, I was still, you know, nineteen and twenty when I started there, and was very close to the YA novels that I had loved so recently, and it was really just a natural fit. And I never left. I stayed there for eight years. I'm sorry, I, I have to butt in here. I like, I have kids heading off to college, and I got this warm feeling in my stomach
0: when you started talking about how amazing you were in college. Oh gosh, and how you. <laughs> you know, saw your path and you just got on it and you've been on it since, I mean, I feel like that is, that, I mean, that's badass, Molly.
2: Oh, thank you. It's, it it was a blessing, but I don't know that I would recommend it to everyone. You know, I think it would have been great to have a social life in college too, (laughs) instead of working full time, but, but I'm grateful for, for having gotten the start that I did and and certainly glad that I found this path in publishing. It's, it's been a really, um, really great thing in my life.
1: Do you remember how you found the internship and when you were applying and, like, things you were thinking it would be like versus what it was like, that kind of thing? Oh, gosh.
2: I think it was on – probably an early version of like bookjobs.com, the listing. Uh, and I just applied to several literary agencies. Uh, and I remember my English professor at the time telling me that I shouldn't go work for a literary agency. And they're just the middlemen. And I realized in time that he was just bitter that he couldn't get a literary agent for his, you know, great American novel so uh, so I did get an internship at the agency and though my professor was not pleased I definitely was
1: I seem to remember a certain feeling at certain colleges that uh, one should focus on the art and not think about the commerce of it at all which I think is an interesting approach given that um, of course we have to have that spirit of creativity without editing to get things onto the page mm-hmm. I often wonder how that ends up for the people who have written something that they don't even know uh, hits a cliche or just doesn't want the Market is looking for. I always wondered how that panned out for people
2: who thought about it, who thought about it that way. But yeah, I do think that that sort of education really does a disservice to creative people because you know if it is something that you're looking to monetize, I think it's important to be realistic about the industry you're looking to break into from day one and to really know what the expectations of the industry are, and certainly to familiarize yourself with. You know, the other titles in the industry, the things that are similar to yours, um, which I found, you know, when I started out in publishing that a lot of debut authors or, or authors who were looking to get published for the first time were not familiar with their category and, you know, had gone to a writing program and just sort of looked at what they were doing as being unique. And though what you're doing is, is hopefully unique in its, its own special way, it's also got to fit somewhere on the bookshelf. So I think that it's, it's important to think creatively, but also with a business mind if you can.
0: That's great. So Molly,
2: tell us about you. What do you do when
0: you're not working?
2: Well, when I'm not chasing my cat around out of the backyard, uh, we do have a backyard in Brooklyn and it was overrun by feral cats over the last few oh months. My gosh. Um, so we've been working with the cats and with our neighbors to get them all spayed and neutered and off the streets. So that's been a big oh. project. Um, I walked out my back door one day and there were three little kittens um up against my fence they were really really wow. cute so I've been taking care of them I love to cook I do master chef mystery box challenges in my spare time uh, we'll go to the grocery store and pick out a few ingredients and, and see what we can make out of them
1: I thought you were gonna I thought you're gonna say that was another subscription box and I was like I want in I would subscribe <laughs> to that personally that would be such a good you know there's so many of those out there I think that's a great idea for one
0: yeah you know in Maine you can't it, it's It's a thing. It's called Feud. And you can go there with people on dates and people, (laughs) you know, just kind of like coming in for fun and everyone battles it out. Oh, my God. That's so cute. I love it. B-Y-O-B. So everyone... So you can come in as a judge or you can come in as like a chef. So if you guys are let's do it. That's amazing. I was just...
1: I was like, we need to host one of those in our office space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all the people in publishing say they like to cook. All right, prove it. Let's go. Totally. I'm like camera. i like 12 cameras either. i to do it.
0: <laughs> I think we'd get kicked out for all the fire, well, but it'd be it really fun. So we did, uh, in our um, podcast with Renee Rosen, um, she had a recipe. She said she her superhero talent was salad making. What is your... Like, if you were gonna make one thing, like to impress us, what would you make?
2: Chicken and dumplings, definitely. Uh, oh, I'm from yum. Texas. So, though I've been out of the South for quite some time, I still like my, my Southern comfort food. Yeah. As a
1: vegetarian, I, I have to weigh in and say that sounds <laughs> amazing. I can make a vegetarian. <laughs> if I was <laughs> in a cave for anything, it would absolutely be chicken that is in the oven. I don't know what it is, but that smell just, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm gonna get hate mail for that. That's okay. So, what would you do in an alternate universe
2: with no publishing? I would be a historical walking tour guide in New York City. Mm. Uh, I'm a total New York City history geek, and in my spare time, like on the weekends, I do like to take various historical walking tours um, with this company that only employs graduate students who are studying architecture and history in the city. (sighs) That's so yeah. cool. That's quite cool. like a big going? onion walking tours. And they're really neat. There's like, you know, oh. prohibition themed and various architecture themes and it's a lot of fun. So I think I would do something like that.
0: I think it's so interesting that if you're someone that hangs out in worlds, you know, that you can appreciate the world around you as a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so Molly, tell us something that has changed you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry.
2: That's a good question. I think when I started, I was quick to proclaim that there were rules about writing and about the industry that everyone should follow. And I think that when you're starting out, whether as as a writer or a publishing professional, it's easy to sort of want to cling to the rules as a roadmap for where to go next and what will work and what doesn't work. Uh, But over time, and in my 10 plus years in the industry now, I've found that a lot of the things that we like to think are rules, um, aren't necessarily in practice and that, um, some of the greatest books are rule breakers in a lot of ways. So now I try not to really prescribe any do's and don'ts. And I found that to be really helpful. I can feel the writers writing to us and saying, does that mean that we don't have to follow querying rules? Oh gosh, okay, no, (laughs) no, no. Yes, you do have to follow querying rules. Uh, But that, I mean more like, you know, when agents say, oh, this kind of book will never work, or this sort of category is really Mm -hmm. over, or never start your book this way. There are always exceptions to those things. And so I think I would be wary of anyone who's telling you that there are absolutes when it comes to publishing, aside from, you know, being a polite and good human who... Follows the rules that agents ask you to follow.
1: So follow the rules for submitting. Feel free to break them. Sure, yeah, in your follow work.
2: the rules when it comes to having a productive, polite business relationship. And can you give us an
0: example of an author that broke a rule that that just really resonated with you? Oh, that is a tough question.
2: <laughs> You know, I think that Laura Sebastian, who's a, a best-selling YA fantasy author, is a great example, and she's really candid about this on her Twitter, that she's had novels that, you know, opened with protagonist waking up, or, or the protagonist, you know, looks in the mirror and describes herself, and her work has gone on to become, you know, massive bestsellers. Um, the Ash Princess trilogy is fantastic and certainly well-loved, so I think, you know, there are always ways that you can take things that might seem to be cliche or, you know, so-called don'ts and make them your own and and make them succeed.
1: So one thing I'm curious about, you have seen work both on the agent side and the editor Mm -hmm. side of the desk. Is everything on the editorial side as mysterious as (laughs) agents kind of think that it is? Like, does an acquisitions meeting look the way that you thought it did? It's a lot less
2: intimidating and judgy than I thought it would have been.
1: Um, can you tell us more? I'm so curious, both for myself and for everyone.
2: Sure, I think you, you know, and I can only speak for my own experience with, with acquisitions meetings at sourcebooks, but there are usually many different titles to get through in a meeting. So it's not as though everyone is sitting there picking apart every last line of this manuscript and, you know, letting out snarky comments about things that they didn't like. Um, It's really just, you know, here's the book, here are its strengths, here are its potential challenges, here's where I see it fitting in in the marketplace. You know, hopefully the colleagues who are in the meeting with you have had a chance to sort of skim over the book and and tell you what they think about it. But it's really quite succinct and no one's ever a jerk in my experience. That's great. So there's usually a blurb in a packet passed around, correct? Versus
1: everyone at the table has read every single book Yeah. So
2: at Sourcebooks, everyone does have access to all the material prior to the acquisitions meeting. So we can sort of go on our server and read as much or as little as ma- of a manuscript as we're able to in the time that we have. So, you know, there have been projects that I've read almost the whole thing. And there are projects where, you know, I might have a busy week and I can only read a little bit of the project for my colleague, but we always try to make an effort to read as much of it as we can um, to be helpful in the meeting. But there's also an acquisitions sheet where we share the pitch, uh, we share some thoughts on comps, and we share information about the author, including, you know, their past sales track, where they're based, that sort of thing.
0: Julie, is that what you expected? Um, I don't even know what to expect. (laughs) No, no, that's just, that's tongue to cheek. Um, yeah. So I have heard a little bit about, about this and that, and you know, I have heard that it is a very um, marketing conversation, you know, that, that it really shifts once you get to that moment. And I think that's pretty right on. See, I would like to
1: be a fly on a wall in one of these acquisitions meetings or a couple and then be a fly on a wall in a venture capital meeting and see how they differ. Cause I bet there's actually a lot this in common.
2: Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I mean, don't like, I, I watch billions, and I kind of assume that, like, that's all really cool and bombastic, and no, probably in reality it's it's chill and quiet.
1: Um, tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale. I
2: don't remember the time I saw my first ever book for sale, but I do remember the time that finished copies of my first book came into my office, and it was uh, Lana Crumwitty's Freakling, which was a middle grade fantasy, and... I remember one of our college interns bringing the box of books into my office and setting it on the floor, just like, oh, here's a box of books for you, and sort of starting to walk away. And I saw them, and I just burst into tears. And this poor kid was probably like, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Um, but it was my first box of books, and it was, it was really, you know, exciting and, and special. And even more so because we had gotten a blurb from Margaret Peterson Haddix, who was one of my favorite authors as a kid. So to see her name on the back of this book that I had had a a small hand in was pretty fantastic.
0: I know I felt a little teary as you're t- as you were talking. And I, I love how that story, it's like the specialness mm-hmm. and the mundane. You know, that, that for the kid that was delivering it, he was like, Here you go. And then it was like just this moment and the weight of the box. I could feel it, you know?
2: And it's sitting there and you looking at it and publishing, see- right? It's the special and the mundane, and they really coexist. Um, I think mm-hmm. you know, from the outside, we like to think that publishing sounds so cool and so magical, but 90% of the time it's answering emails and going to meetings and checking things off a to-do list. But those few special moments that we get with every book really make it all worthwhile.
1: I think a lot of the challenge is having so much special that it doesn't become mundane, you know, figuring out how to process that much special and not
0: make it like, oh, another miracle <laughs> occurred. Damn it, i got to get to more. my oh. meeting. <laughs> so what do you wish writers knew about things on your side of the desk?
2: I wish they knew how hard it is for us Write rejections, that it's really not something that we relish. Even now, as an editor, when I'm writing passes to agents, I'm thinking not just about you know what is this agent going to feel or think when I send her this pass, but you know how is the author going to receive it when she passes it along to them, and what can I say that is possibly helpful, and what can I say that's also encouraging. So it's it's really not something that I enjoy doing. I kind of dread it, Um, and so I wish authors understood that. You know, we're not over here like gleefully cackling, and they are super hard decisions to make. I would say that, you know, ninety percent of the books I pass on are not bad; they're just not right for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of writers think that if they get rejected, it means there's something bad, and that's no. I, mean, I passed not on something
2: recently that was it was a great middle grade novel, but the story happened to be um, about an activity in middle school that I was not particularly interested in as a kid. Just Didn't find that fascinating. Didn't really care about, you know, the story of the kids who participated in that because they were kind of mean to me when I was younger. So for me, even though this was a great middle grade novel with excellent character development and pacing, I just couldn't see myself spending that much time with sort of the kids who had really tormented me in middle school. And so it's, it's a really personal thing, you know, and kind of a silly reason, but you're going to spend a lot of time with these books and it really matters how you connect them on a, on a one-to-one level.
0: But the other day with Catherine Sands, um, when we did our um, query event and it was all about just like how your own personal stuff, you know, like, like it is there with you all the time because comprehension and, and how you relate to mm-hmm. a book is just you, you know? And, and that's why when the stars align and all of these things come together, it's magic, you know? And so you want, as a writer, you want that magic. I mean, if, if, if I was amazing at dodgeball and you hate it because I was like six feet tall in middle school <laughs> and you hated dodgeball, you know? I mean, it's just that, that is, like, I think from the writer's side, you, that, that's exactly what you want. And I, I think, well, that must have hurt that writer in some way. I think that writer's probably going to find the spot if it's good enough. Anyways, it's from someone who loved dodgeball. Yeah, Ball I mean, I got whatever. this picture
2: book submission the other day that I read right after the agent sent it to me, and within 24 hours, I would pulled an offer together and I sent it to him the next day, um, and I was just running around the office telling everyone like I will die if I don't get this book. Like I must publish this book, or I will surely perish. <laughs>
0: Were um, you tweeting about yeah, it? I yeah. was reading your so tweets. I'm still sort of like, like oh, dying and no waiting way. and hoping,
2: but I was so excited about it. I'm still so excited about it. You know, I've I've talked to my poor, like, husband and cat and mom and friends years off about this book. I think they're probably already sick <laughs> of it. Um, but I think that every author deserves, you know, an agent and then an editor who feels that way about their work. And I think, you know, that's what you should hold out for. That's what you really deserve in your career, somebody who's that kind of passionate. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I feel like it is just a matter of faith also. A lot of us take on faith that, and I hope this is right because we all do it, that if we're not exactly the right fit, someone else will sure. be. And so it's not coming from a place of, I don't like it, go away. It's coming from a place of, this is someone who's going to want to read your book and edit your book eight times before it goes out and to make sure that everything is as good yeah, as it can absolutely. be because they get it. Now I want to know what that <laughs> book
2: is. I'll, I'll tell you soon. <laughs> <And> hopefully. <laughs> and hopefully,
1: fingers crossed. If you had Google level funding and the ability and encouragement to spend 20% of your time making something, what a would you community make? theater.
2: Ooh. Yeah. I Are think almost all publishing yeah. is made up of theater kids. Uh, I would absolutely start a little community theater somewhere upstate and make all of my friends perform in it with me and it would just be oh. the best. I grew up in a community theater, so I still sort of miss the smell of paint on the weekends
1: oh, I I came to New York thinking I wanted to do that. So I'm very pleased.
0: So tell us some of your earliest, some of your earliest memories of your days in NYC, in the industry. industry.
2: So when I was just starting out as an agent, I got a query from this author named Julie Murphy and it was for her debut novel, Side Effects May Vary. And I remember reading it in a Starbucks on Mm -hmm. a Saturday because all I did all the time was read queries. I never went anywhere (laughs) and I fell in love with it. And you know, offered representation right away, and I think it ended up being something like ten other agents offered. And I thought, no way, am I going to get this? Oh I'm just starting out. Um, but one of Julie's favorite writers, Siobhan Vivian, was represented by my agency, and Shavon got on the phone with Julie and talked to her about me and working with me in, in foreign rights, which I was doing at the time as well. And Julie picked me and I still remember where I was um, oh. you know I just what I was wearing all of those things and she went on to be the New York Times bestselling author of Dumplin which is now a movie and I went to the Netflix premiere in December which was really incredible yeah and so John represents oh, so her exciting. now so it's like still all in the family we got to go together which is really special but um other super funny publishing memory related to that is that right after I had signed Julie, I was at a publishing party at an editor's house and that's where I met John for the first time. And he came right up to me and he said, so you're (laughs) Molly Jaffa. And I said, yes. He was like, you're the one who got Julie Murphy. Like how old are you even? And he asked, he asked to see my driver's license. (laughs) He was such a jerk. And I guess it turns out that he was flirting. Um, so (laughs) that's that story. (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was flirting. I thought. Oh, that's <laughs> so New York. I'm sorry. Yeah, your driver's license, flirt, flirt, wink, wink.
2: <laughs> I mean, very charming. I guess it, it sounded sort of that's
0: great, cool
2: at the time. I don't know. <laughs>
0: You know, my husband was a guest speaker when I was teaching fourth grade, so there's that. You know, we all have yeah. weird stories. Tell us the story of a really fun day or night you've had. I in spent New York the City.
2: last most most recent Fourth of July on Coney Island from morning until fireworks, and I went to see the nice. hot dog eating contest, which was pretty epic. Um, everyone was wearing hot dog hats. There were people <laughs> dressed up as hot dogs and dancing. There's like an old old carnival barker who announces the whole thing. <laughs> and we just camped out on the beach all day and, and people watched and then went to the Coney Island Freak Show Museum and stayed all night until it was time for the fireworks, which was Really cool. Uh, It's one of my favorite places in New York City.
1: Um, I love that it's a combination of history and amusement park and beach. I mean, that's something that is hard to find in a lot of places.
0: So Mm
2: -hmm. if you were a superhero, what powers would you have? I think if I were a superhero, I would want to have super memory because I feel like I read a lot of books. I try to read one published book a week. And by the end of the year, I can never really remember everything that I read what they were about, the major plot points. So, you know, I'll be going out and meet like a normal person who's not in publishing and doesn't read so many books and want to talk to them about a book I read and I can't really remember any of it beyond sort of a general impression. So I would really like the ability to completely recall everything that I've read. I think it would be a game changer for my social life.
1: I have that problem too. I was talking about this book that a British mm-hmm. editor sent to me. It was Kimberly Atkins, Julie. She sent me this women's fiction oh, book. She's great. I can't believe it's not in the U.S. It's so good. Like watching this character try to be perfect in this world is like so amazing, and I. Could not remember the title because the cover of the special edition is like the most talked about hardcover of 2018 becomes the most talked about paperback of 2018, 19. I'm like, ah, I don't know what the actual title is. I felt really dumb because I was telling everyone they should read it. But um, I wish you would send us a box. It's really amazing. What's something you like to teach about at
2: conferences? At conferences, I like to talk to writers about the importance of knowing your market. And I think that that can sound a little daunting because you think, well, I'm not a publishing professional. Why should I have to know all this? And I think really all you need to know or to be able to do is to read maybe just five recent and successful titles in your category and in your genre. Because, you know, if you're writing middle grade, but you haven't read a middle grade novel since say Harry Potter, a lot has changed since then. And while, you know, we can absolutely recognize good writing in any context it's important to keep in mind what the market is currently publishing, what people are looking for, and what's working. You'll have a much better chance if you're aware of all of that. And so I would really tell writers to know your market and to read really well, really widely, just as often as you can. It's on the I think shelf? the New York Times list is a great place to start. Certainly, the New York Times list is, is really flawed you know, every week we're always talking about, oh, this book had the numbers to hit and this book didn't, but it made it anyway. And now oh, they don't report from Walmart. They don't report from Target, which is frustrating, but it does give you a good sense of what is selling really well. And I think that that's important to know. So despite some of my issues with the Times list, I think that that can be a good place to start. Um, also, awards lists for, you know, state awards. Um, a lot of kids read them, obviously, in elementary and middle school. All of those books are recommended. So that can be a good place to start as well. You Great. can find Molly, me on Twitter, Molly underscore Cusick, where I talk about my cat, not too much, hopefully, and talk about what I'd like to see in my submissions inbox. Um, so, you know, writers, if you've, if you've got an agent, you can always ask them to keep me in mind. And if you are looking for an agent, sometimes I have advice on that too, because I did spend a long time being one. So, hopefully you'll find me somewhat entertaining. And also Molly is available for meetings where I like to cram as much information into those conversations as I possibly can. Um, I'm also really gentle. I'm an easy crier myself. I think if you like poke me or look at me sideways, I'll sometimes just burst into tears. So please know that I understand how difficult this is and I really want to make you feel supported and heard and make sure that I can answer all the questions that you have. So, You know, I'm really just looking to give you as much feedback as I can. And I'm approaching it with the thought that I don't expect you to just take all my advice and implement it. Just take what's useful and leave the rest. That's how the best editorial relationships are made. And know that I'm just here to encourage you and, and want you to make your project as strong as it can be. Nya, I'm really looking for. Um, I would really love a queer rom com right now. That would just be amazing. I'm a big fan of this book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is an adult novel or a young, a new adult novel, but. I'd love to see a YA version. Um, I'm really looking for something that's a little bit, you know, upmarket, maybe kind of literary might seem sort of quiet, but really gets at hard hitting issues without feeling like an issue book. Um, and that's really just the story of someone's life and the things they happen to experience. Um, I'm looking in middle grade for something that's really fun and funny and will make me laugh but also cry a little bit. Uh, if you've ever read something like you know, thing, um, "Thing About Jellyfish or Counting by Sevens, those are my jam. I also love mystery and adventure. And in picture books, I really just want to see something that is quirky and crazy. Think like dragons love tacos, um, or something with a really lovable cuddly protagonist that you want to just sort of squeeze until its eyes pop out. (laughs) But mostly what I want to see is I feel like this is such kind of an agency way of approaching things, but I just want to see good books. And I think that good books can come in any form, you know, like, just like I was talking about not following the rules earlier. It can be easy to say what we think we'd like to see, but you know, I would never close myself off to any category entirely because sometimes the things you end up falling in love with the most are unexpected. You know, it's like people sometimes just love hits you when you least expect it.
0: Thank you so much. This is, um, you just hearing how you approach work, hearing your philosophy, hearing your long, long, you know, just work life here. in the industry has been a pleasure, Molly. Thank you so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and
1: want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line.
0: We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.